our campus ministry, <clears throat> they're having a retreat this weekend, and um, they're in Russellville at Camp Caudill. And so um, we'll use this opportunity to talk behind their back. Yeah, it's strange that in Russellville, uh, I am going to talk about our campus ministry, but these are things that they already know, things that have been said to them, things that have been shared with them. And I've had the privilege of uh, sitting in on their Wednesday night classes for some time. And, and that has to do with the transition that we announced last week. Travis Campbell announced to us that he was taking a job in California, and so we wish them well. We wish them well as they start that job out there. And I want you to know that I am very confident about the leadership in our student group, all of them. I, I, I'm glad that they're having this retreat because they, they are taking this opportunity to strengthen their bonds, strengthen their ties, but also to commit to their vision. And I think we ought to do the same. They're doing that in Russellville. It was in Russellville nearly 20 years ago that I made an announcement very similar to the one that Travis made here last week. When I said that I would be leaving the campus ministry at Arkansas Tech University, I was moving to Lake Jackson, Texas to take a preaching job. But I've, I always wanted to be a part of campus ministry. I always wanted to be part of a congregation that had a mission to a college campus. But it's only recently that I've realized that what we call campus ministry probably isn't the best name. Campus ministry we often think of as um, perhaps as a placeholder for a Christian school. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's only been in the last few years that the old term Bible chair has gone out of fashion. Uh, often when I was campus minister, people said, oh, you direct the Bible chair. I said, no, I've just got one chair. It's rather old, kind of beat up, needs a little work on it. I didn't know where this Bible chair was. But there's a lot of ideas out there about what a campus ministry is. I just want us to focus in on one, and that is that campus ministry is really campus mission. It is a mission on a college campus. You hear a lot of talk about church planting. Campus ministry really resembles church planting. And because we have this time of transition, and like I said, we wish, we wish Travis and Ambry very well. I mean, I, this is a healthy transition that they get to move and, and do good work. And they get to continue the work that they're doing for the kingdom. We've been through transitions like this before. And this opportunity, though, is a time for us to pause. It's a time for us to recognize the transition, to be grateful, to reassert our vision, and to see the opportunities. Now, when I came here to this congregation, I was excited about the fact that I would get to be a minister, a preaching minister, at a congregation that had a mission on a college campus. It's what I'd hoped for. And we were just getting the campus ministry started back in 2003. Again, depending on how you start the calendar on that, there were a few years there. But if you stop and think about it, without a doubt, we've been in this mission field for over a decade. 
over a decade. That's at least two, really three, possibly four generations of college students that have come through this ministry and this mission. And by the way, it's one of the ways that when we have these flags up here and what they represent, that first flag right there, the flag of the United States, is there not just because this is our nation. It's there because our mission field is this nation right here. And one of the first places where we can get into that mission field is right across the street. We have that opportunity. But, but I've been making calls all week to leaders in the campus ministry network because the transition has begun. And there will be more details to share with you. I want you to know this, that uh, first of all, let's drop any anxiety about the transition. What are we going to do after October 25th? Our campus minister will be starting his next job. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Things are well in place for the transition. Our students are well prepared. Plans have been put together. Now, do we need some of you to help out and volunteer? Well, always. You're always welcome to be a part of what's going on. And in fact, I want to suggest to you some ways that you can be involved that that maybe we haven't thought about before. But the transition will start, and there will be search teams, and there will be transition teams. I'm not prepared to give you those details right now because there's some other discussions that need to take place in leadership, but you will be informed as those things go along. But let's take this opportunity to get back to the basic premise of why we have a mission on a college campus. In talking to leaders in campus ministry, and there are networks of campus ministry in our, uh, in our United States, uh, and it's, it's been enriching to call them and to tell them that we're in a time of transition. We want their advice. We want their input. You know, this is the way we have to do things in our autonomous congregations. Uh, we don't have a regional board that appoints a minister and moves them around and says, this is where you go. You just have to start talking to people. You just have to start inviting other Christian leaders to be praying with you. And you have to talk to them and let them talk to others. And before you know it, God just works everything out. And he says, here, here's the right fit. Here's how this works together. In talking to these leaders, in talking to these um, people who are well invested in campus ministry, I've, I've come to know two things. One is, it's clear That our campus ministry, after at least a decade and more, it's clear that our campus ministry, our campus mission, is a premier ministry in the field. And that's a conviction we need to hold on to. We've got an opportunity. We have a connection with this campus based on who we are and where we're at. That most campus ministries, they would be envious of the situation that we have here. So we should give thanks for that. The second thing is that all of them, the the leaders, the identified leaders in campus ministry, will tell you that campus ministry is campus mission. And that's the value we need to uphold. Why though? Why is it mission? This takes me back. Because this is something that I knew when I was a younger man. And when I was involved in campus ministry, both as a student and as a campus minister, and it's still true today, studies and research 
Experience, wisdom even, will tell you that the worldview of individuals is significantly shaped between the ages of 18 and 24. Now, that's not a clever way of saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, okay? That's not what that's saying. What it's saying is that there is a vital period of training between 18 and 24. Some of us, well, after the age of 24, have changed our worldview significantly, but it takes a lot more effort for that to happen. Chris Buxton is campus minister at Arkansas State University. Uh, He followed me at Arkansas Tech University. I had the opportunity to speak to him this week. He says that it's, um, it's like an arrow. That when a person is younger, and this is what we do in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, you invest them with values, you teach them. And that's like firing an arrow. And in those younger years, before they come of age, before they cross the threshold into adulthood, it's like we're charging the bow and we're pulling the string back and we're aiming the arrow. But at 18 to 24, that's when the arrow is released. And if you stop and think about it, the trajectory of our adult lives is often influenced by things that happen to us in that time period. I I, I liken it to spiritual inertia. Inertia is that idea that objects in motion tend to stay in motion and objects at rest tend to stay at rest. That that when you're trying to move something, if it's already moving, that's good because you can push it and you you can influence it. But if something is at rest, you have to take a lot more energy to move it. Past the age of 24, it takes a lot of energy to get someone to change their worldview. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. But I'm saying that it takes much more energy. It takes much more effort. And that's not to say that our efforts to reach out to people older than that are lost or somehow misplaced. No. We need to proclaim the gospel and let God give the increase. But I do think we should recognize that we have a particular opportunity on a mission field where the whole point of it is you're between the ages of 18, 24, you're shaping your worldview, you're at a place that's supposed to be open to new ideas, and I'm saying, why aren't we jumping right in there and saying, we've got some ideas we'd like to share? I mean, it's right there. It's being handed to us. I know it's true because I've seen it, not only in my own life. Right up here on this stage, too, let me point it out to you. I mentioned one flag, mention another one. You see this one right here? It's new this year. It's got a little parrot on it. It's a flag of Guatemala. This last week, a fellow named Paul Kreitz, who lives in Guatemala, he's a missionary in Guatemala. Paul Kreitz came, and our, our group uh, is going to the West Ark Youth Group, but of course, as Rick would say, all of you are invited, is going to go to the spring break campaign in Guatemala. We'll have two weeks worth because of Oklahoma's spring break week and Arkansas's spring break week. We're going to Guatemala to work with a mission down there that's thriving. A few years ago, we invested a little bit of money into that, and now some great things have come out of that. We're going to get to go down there and see and participate in what's going on. The first time I ever met Paul Kreitz was in Russellville. He was a young man between the ages of 18 and 24. The United States Navy had taught him how to speak Spanish and how to speak Arabic so that he could protect our natural, na- national interests. 
And he was doing noble things, but he was still seeking purpose and meaning in life. And I can still remember the first words that I spoke with him, really the first words he spoke to me. In front of that campus center there at Arkansas Tech University campus, he had come over for a free meal. And he said, can you tell me a little bit about the original languages of the Bible, Greek and Hebrew? I said, yeah, I think we can have a conversation about that. He was open to new ideas. And now, he's married, he has two children, he's doing mission work in Guatemala, and we're going to go and be a part of that. That's the way God works mission. I don't know what would have happened if there hadn't have been a group of people who were invested in there being a campus ministry there. If Paul had ever had that conversation, I don't think that that flag would ever be up there. And I know Paul very well. I think he would have found something else to do in his life. And there were times that he did. This is a mission because we have opportunity to influence lives for God's purposes. It's a mission, second reason. I'm going to give you four of these. Second reason is because there are diverse groups seeking community on the UA Fort Smith campus. Before Travis Campbell, our campus minister was Shane Hughes. Shane transitioned, went to California. It makes you think there's some sort of magnetic pull from Arkansas to California. I can't explain that. We might put that, by the way, in the search. We can promise the next person that they'll have a future job in California. <laughs> Shane shared a story with me one day that he met uh, the leader of the non-traditional student association at University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. And in that conversation, he said, you know, the needs of uh, our group are a little different. Shane said, yes, I know. Can you tell me what those are? And they said, well, most of us work in addition to going to school. Some of us have families and children. We're just wondering what resources there may be out there to help us raise our kids and to help us learn how to manage our finances in, in these times. Do you know of anyone who might be able to help with that? Isn't that what we do, the West Ark Church of Christ? That with God's wisdom, we're trying to teach people how to raise their children? When those kids come up here and they put the money and the coins in these buckets, aren't we teaching them the most fundamental and biblical lessons about finances? That it is good to give in God's name? So do you think that we have something to offer a community of non-traditional students who are looking for answers in an important time of their life? Do you think? I think we do. I know because I was over there this week. I went over there for a Chamber of Commerce meeting over there on, at, at the Smith Pendergraph Center on the campus of the University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. And like a good Campbellite, I stuck with my own and sat there with Brian Robbins and uh, Benny Gooden. Yeah, time I started practicing what I preached. But anyway, I was, that's the chamber. I wasn't over there to meet students. But on the way out, I noticed, I saw students from many nations 
What we have next door is kind of a reverse great commission. Go ye into all the world. Well, the world just came to ye. It's over there. And, and what, what might happen if we reached out to people who are not even in... We, we talk about students who are away from home. What if, what if you went somewhere and you weren't even in your home country? Do you think that it might be good to show hospitality? I, I mean, I know sometimes we think about evangelism and we think, isn't this kind of sneaky? Isn't it bait and switch? Aren't we trying to do sales? You know what? If you have a problem with that... I'm going to go ahead and give you that and say, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But can you at least show hospitality? Of course you can. And you know, one of the things about this campus over here is this is a starter school for many of the faculty. We have faculty that come in that some of them are between the ages of 18 and 24 or just right on the other side of it. I met new faculty this week over on that campus. People who are moving here, who are away from home. Can't we show hospitality? Uh, Take a look at um, Hebrews 13 with me. I want to read this verse to you. Because everybody always gets uh, stuck on the angels. And we miss the point of this. Listen to what the preacher in Hebrews says. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. First, he's admonishing them to love. Second, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers... For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. He keeps going. Remember those who are in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. This is a good sermon. This is good teaching. And he says you ought to show hospitality to the newcomers, to the strangers. And we always get caught up in the angels trying to figure out, well, now I wonder if we just helped an angel. Angels don't need help. They're okay. This is, this is just like a typical sermon. I understand how the preacher feels. He tells one joke, makes a funny story, and that's all anybody thinks about afterwards, and they don't get the lesson. The point of the lesson is be hospitable, just like old Abraham did, and it was the right thing to do. There are people who come to us semester after semester. They need community. Can we be that community for them? Can we be a place of hospitality? Third reason why it's mission. It's the rule of real estate, but it's also a rule of mission. Location, location, location. We are uniquely situated near this campus. I'll tell you one of the things that I give thanks for. I give thanks for the fact that some of our earliest efforts to find a campus house were taken away from us. Not to say that we didn't have good intentions. And we had people working hard to find opportunities for us to to have a campus house. But the whole time God was saying, no, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. And then it was about this time, around 2009, that this property right over here was offered to us. We had to raise $100,000 in 30 days. And by the grace of God, we did. And that's the place that it needed to be. I was talking to other campus ministers in those days and saying, you know, we're trying to find a campus house. They said, aren't you right across the street from the campus where you're at? Yeah. 
they would look at me with this funny look like, why is this so hard for you to understand? They said, we have campus houses that get us closer to the campus from where our church building is. You're already there. What they were saying to me was, your facility, your location, your address, 900 North Waldron, that is your campus center. I really think that, you know, many of you know the history better than I do. Some of you know the history much better than I do about why West Ark Church of Christ is here and there was College Terrace and there was Windsor and all the stories that get there. And, you know, that's, that's good history. Here's a fact we are here. We, as a congregation, locate and gather here. And we have no plans to move. So we are going to be here. If we are going to be here, is it possible? As Mordecai said to Esther, is it possible that you are in the place that you are in, Queen Esther, for just such a time as this? In the story of Esther, it was, Esther, you may be in the king's court, the king of Persia, for one reason, salvation of your people. Is it possible that we are here Not not that we don't do many things, and we do. It's great, and all of that's good. But is it possible that because of this location, we have an opportunity that we dare not squander? We've said this before, but it bears saying again. Again, take a look with me at Galatians chapter 2, okay? Because I know it says, well, wait a second. We're just supposed to be the church. No church and no missionary has ever been called to just be a generic church. Just do the business of church. You know, just, just what? Generic church stuff. Well, you know, a little preaching, a little singing, a little scripture reading, some prayer. Everybody come on Sunday morning, go home. Well, if that's all we want, then we can cut out a lot of this nonsense and shorten it, okay? But that's not, that's not what we're called to. Look at Galatians 2. Paul says something very interesting here to the Galatian church. By the way, the Galatian church, a church that was getting caught up in religion as a lot of forms and rituals, thinking that that's what it meant to follow God. But he names something in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. Now hold on, isn't that a bit racist or something? Isn't that selective? Peter's only going to work with Jewish people? Paul's only going to work with Gentile people? That's not exclusivity, it's focus. We are all called to be messengers and evangelists, but you have to know who your audience is as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because we can be sent to a specific group of people for just such a time as this. Acts 16. That's where we get the phrase, the Macedonian call. Paul was convinced that they needed to take the gospel into Asia. Jesus had other ideas. No, you need to go to Macedonia. And even in a vision, he receives this dream of going to Macedonia and helping the people there. That doesn't mean that God didn't care about Asia. Somebody else would go there. This is where we need to think about our location. We need to take a look at where we're at and, 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 and use that to stimulate some vision. We've done this for the last 10 years and more, but we need to keep it fresh and do it again. By the way, 
University of Arkansas, Fort Smith, they have a vision. Their vision looks something like this for our location. When you're looking at this screen, you are almost literally looking into the future. That's the corner of Grand and Waldron right there in their plan. We're somewhere over here, okay? But there's that. They're going to turn that into what they call the gateway to the campus. All of this is online. You can go look at it yourself. Some of you will probably even understand it a lot better than I will. But all I know is this. They have a vision. They have a vision not only for the physical appearance of the campus, but for what the campus will represent. Do we have as much vision? Can we have as much vision? I say that we are squandering the opportunities that God has given us, and we are poor stewards if we do not have vision. I mean, if our vision is nothing more than, hey, 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 let's just kind of keep it silent, you know, kind of keep it quiet, take care of what we got, and stay out of everybody's way. There's a little parable about a guy who takes a talent he's been given, wraps it up in a, in a you know, in a, one of those absorbent napkins or something, and then throws it in the ground, has it in a hanky, buries it like it's garbage, and then picks it back up again and says, here, I didn't lose what you gave me. Master gets very upset with that kind of vision. We're going to have vision, and God help us to continue that vision. Finally, campus ministry is campus mission. Because we have to remember, it's a lot like church planting, and it is a ministry to adults. I've gotten in a bad habit, I've noticed, since I've had to rethink some of my ideas, you know, go back to some of my earliest ideas about campus ministry and campus mission. I've gotten in the bad habit of calling this group, I told you I was going to talk about them, I've gotten in the bad habit of calling them kids. Well, they are younger than me, and one of them does happen to be my son. But they're not kids. And when I was a campus minister, I always encouraged people my age and older, I said, let's try to think of them as adults. And sometimes I would get the reply, well, they don't all act like adults. No, maybe they don't, but they are. And somebody's got to start treating them that way so that they will see the vision that God has for them as adults. And when I say that this isn't an advanced youth ministry, that's no slam on youth ministry or children's ministry. It's just that they do different things. Different things are being accomplished. You know, our Christian schools understand that when young people come to them. They come to them as adults, and they're preparing them for adult life. And by the way, one of the things that I want to take off the table is this idea that there's some sort of competition between Christian schools and a state school campus ministry. You can't even compare those two. They're not the same thing. If this is a mission field, then the way that we approach it is entirely different. We may prepare our own young people to go to a college, it might be a Christian college, it might be a state college somewhere, but we may prepare them and invest them with values and ideas, and we want them to go somewhere where they will be mentored. But what about the young person who has no Christian background? Who's going to reach them for Christ? Many of you didn't know me 
when I was 19 years old, and for this I am so thankful. But at 19 years old, coming out of high school, I had no inclination of going to anything like a Christian school. But I am so thankful that there were people who were there who believed that it was possible for me to follow Christ. And they saw more in me than what I could see in myself. And yes, there are opportunities when you're a young adult because you're so open to new ideas. There are opportunities to get into all kinds of trouble. And we often worry about that as older adults. And we say, they're going to make a lot of bad decisions. Yes, they might, but they can also make good decisions. And it is not our mission, no more than it's our mission with other adults, to run around and tell people, no, don't do that. When I preach to you, I very rarely want to preach to you, my peers, many of you older, wiser than me. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to have that kind of responsibility to tell you, no, you can't do this all the time. Because I'm doing my best to manage my life You don't want me getting into the business of managing your life. But what I would like to do, and I think what we can do, is we can give people a bigger yes than all the no's that we can think of. And when you have a large yes, yes to Christ, yes to God's purposes, yes to His mission, then the things that you shouldn't be doing, well, you've already got an answer to those. Because you just don't have the time. That when you're following God, you don't have the time for this other stuff. When you understand who you are in God's kingdom, you don't have the time to waste on other things that are not worthy of God's children. The gospel gives meaning and purpose as well as salvation. And you read through Scripture, adults are responsible for that spiritual gift of self-control. It's something that comes through that adult relationship with the Spirit of God. Those are four reasons why it's mission. So what, what is our next step? Well, our next step is to take a knee. You know, everybody loves the victory formation in football. I don't know who your team is right now, but I know there's a lot of disappointing teams out there to watch right now. You'll be all right. But everybody loves to see the victory formation because when you see the victory formation, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, that means quarterback takes the ball, he backs up, takes a knee, they blow the whistle, and then they run the clock out. It means you've won the game. It means you're, means you're secure and confident. You know you're going to win the game. But you know what's funny about it? Is when it's recorded in the playbook, it's actually recorded as a loss of yards. They don't write on their victory formation. And they won the game. They don't do that. That's narrative. You know, in the stale, arid world of, you know, recording the game, it's just shown as loss of yardage, game ends. Sometimes we need to understand that in our approach to missions, the first thing we need to do is get into the victory formation and we need to take a knee. Because we're so confident that God is going to win. This is really what the Lord teaches in Luke chapter 10. He sees how great the mission field is out there. How daunting it is. The fields are white for the harvest. There's an agricultural term that is missed on most of us. Oh yeah. What's that mean? 
that means that if we don't get some workers out there, we're going to lose the crop. It means we're going to have an agricultural disaster. So we need some workers to go out there and harvest that crop. It's ready. Where are we going to get all these workers? You need to pray and ask the Lord, the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers. First thing I want to call us to do during this time of transition is be intentionally prayerful. I'm putting that word in there, intentionally. You know why? Because prayer is one of those things that often we'll just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of wave our hands. Yep, pray, got to pray. Everybody's got to pray. Be praying. Be praying. Are you? Because in prayer, we stop and we think and we, we, we see things the way God wants us to see things. Sometimes it's good for us to be quiet and to see things the way God wants us to. One of the best prayer summits I ever had with the leadership of the church in Texas. We were coming back from an evangelism conference. Oh, we were so fired up. We were in our church van and we were heading down Interstate 45 back to the Houston area. We had all these plans. We had all these ideas. We need to get everybody together. We need to put some paperwork together. We need to get some charts together. We need to show everybody. We need to galvanize everybody. We got to get a message together. We were so excited that we forgot to fill the the van up with gas. And so we're just shooting down the interstate and all of a sudden, it was like a metaphor, a real metaphor. We said, you know what? I don't know where you get gas out here on the middle of Interstate 45, but let's take this opportunity to slow down and pray. We took a knee, and we were blessed. We need to do that as well. So I want some of you, by the way, don't ask me for permission to start prayer groups, okay? You've got it. Go start some prayer groups. Elders, can I have an amen? Do they have permission to start prayer groups? There you go. You've got permission there. Start some prayer groups. Start some personal prayer missions for the mission opportunity that we have. Our next step is to step across the street. And after we pray, we're going to know how to look and see the opportunities. We're going to know how to listen. And I want you to remember these three numbers, four, five, six. I'm convinced that the, the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, it's a campus ministry handbook. It's a campus mission handbook. Colossians 128 was the verse that I used when I was telling people this is what we do in campus ministry. Colossians 1.28 says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. We are perfecting young adult Christians. That's what we're all about. We're finishing the job. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. That's what I'm still doing today. But you go to the end of the book of Colossians 4, 5, 6. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, this is verse 2, with an alert mind and a thankful heart. See, there's step one, take a knee. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Everybody's amazed that the Pope said, pray for me. Hey, Paul was doing it 2,000 years before. All right? Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Pray for me in preaching. Pray for Travis as he transitions. Pray for our next campus minister. 
whoever it may be. But pray for our students that they will have these opportunities. And then listen to this. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I told you that when I was 19, I was a very different person. And because there were some people on the University of Arkansas Fayetteville campus who, believe, who, who did just this, they lived wisely. They made the most of opportunities. They had gracious and attractive speech. They said things that were interesting. They said things that were meaningful. And because of that, I'm doing what I'm doing now. If there had not been people there devoted to that mission field on the University of Arkansas campus, people who were older, people who were my own age, if those people were not there, I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would not have the family that I have today. That flag of Guatemala would probably not be there. Because I don't know if I would have been around to have that conversation with, with Paul Kreitz. And I know this is starting to turn into the plot of It's a Wonderful Life. But I'm just very thankful that I have real life in Christ because there were some good, godly people, people just like you, who took the time to do what this says. So if you're thinking, well, this is great, this campus ministry stuff, but none of us are college students. They're not even here. Why are you preaching to us? Because without you, this doesn't happen. I have a friend who preached um, in, Oak, in Norman. They had the campus ministry for the Sooners for Christ. He told me, he said, every college, you know, Sunday... We have all the college students in there, and I preach a little sermon to the college students, and I try to encourage them to come and get involved in church. And I said, how's that going? He goes, every year it's the same thing. Nobody ever seems to respond. I said, Dan, you're preaching to the wrong people. No, I'm not. It's college day. I know I'm. No. I said, don't preach to them. Preach to the church. Because they're the ones who understand how to live wisely and set the example, and then they're the ones who share the message with the college students. They're the ones who reach out and show hospitality. They're the ones who bring them and draw them into community. And so that's why I'm preaching to you today. I'm following my own advice. By the way, he did that. And it, he, he called me later and he said, that went very well. We have an opportunity, church. We have an opportunity. We have a mission. Oh, we have so much mission and opportunity that God's given us. So, I want to ask you to be prayerful. And I want to ask you to think about your walk with Christ. And I want you to think about the next steps. By the way, before we take a knee, before we step across the street or around the world, the first step is the watery step of baptism. We take that step. It's not the fifth step in the end of a process. It's the first step in being born into Christ. 
So if there's any way at all that we can encourage you this morning, we're going to have shepherds here and in room 100. If you need to respond this morning, you can do so while we stand and sing and encourage one another. Okay?